1: Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith? It's the final film in George Lucas's prequel trilogy, the last Star Wars film that we thought we would ever get. And of course, that didn't happen. But what did happen was we were witnessing the creation of one of the greatest villains in cinematic history. No, not you, Wicked Witch of the West. I'm, of course, talking about Darth julius vader the film is certified fresh with an 80 percent on the tomato meter with an audience score that is not quite as high but still fresh at 66 percent we got a great guest today we're packed with information scenes behind those scenes and a whole lot more here on the show but of course i'd be remiss if i didn't first introduce my co-host the i would say palpatine to my vader does that work jacqueline coley
2: I'm not that nefarious, and I'm definitely not in charge, but I appreciate the bump up. Uh, I really, really do. Also, for anyone watching who's wondering why I all of a sudden decided to get glam-tastic, it's partially because our guest is so awesome. I wanted to maybe try and keep up with them. But also, I have a junket today. Don't get used to this. This is not my normal 8 a.m. garb.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why Jacqueline and I coordinated, because if she was going extra classy, I'm going where I just got back from the gym. And so we're Mm -hmm. still balancing out keeping it, keeping
2: it keeping it i don't want anyone expecting too much also i don't want to be one of those girls that if you ever see them without the makeup you wonder who the girl is <laughs> i don't want to be that girl either
1: <laughs> as a fellow who's had to do his own makeup for the last year for various shoots i completely understand just a little bit i took my first step into that larger world and i think i've walked maybe one step too far so now you're
2: doing good
1: <laughs> doing okay i'm holding up for 65 years old so this is the movie jacqueline that we just all were so excited to see it for no other reason because we thought it was our last venture into the galaxy far far away on the big screen and i have a simple question and i'm glad it's your job not mine in under five seconds no i'm kidding uh in a minute what is revenge of the sith about
2: Yeah, okay, so this is definitely gonna be a breezy synopsis, but basically, Revenge of the Sith takes place three years after the events of the Clone Wars. Anakin has been about his mission. People don't know that he's married to Padme, and one of the first things they ask him to do is to go rescue the Chancellor, who's been given power over the Senate, and therefore the Republic, and he's been kidnapped. And so then uh, Anakin has to go and rescue him, and during that same time, Obi-Wan is on a different mission against General Grievous. But it's during this time that uh, Anakin becomes very close to Senator Palpatine before we eventually realize that he is the Sith Lord that has been the puppet master behind all the events that have led up to this moment as he wants to take uh, control over the Republic and turn it into what will eventually become the Empire During this time, there are various players. Folks are beginning to suspect Palpatine's evil motives. And because of it, um, they ask Anakin to spy on him. But they do this after they tell him they're not going to make him a Jedi master because, again, he's gotten very close to them. And basically, the people who are supposed to be in the know kind of get in the know very late. But him and Padme are still in love. They share some kisses here and there. And she reveals to him that he's pregnant, sort of sending him into this tailspin, which basically makes him believe that he's going to have a hard time protecting his child. He ends up having all these nightmares. Um, Through the course of things, we eventually figure out, again, Palpatine is evil, Mace Windu and him have a fight. R.I.P. Mace Windu, mm-hmm. uh, and more importantly, too, uh, it sort of leads to this culmination between a fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, where basically, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, he broke his heart. Uh, he, he really, uh, they had a friendship, they had a bond, and although it's kind of strange that in the end, they end up uh, ending their fight because Obi-Wan just happens to be higher than him on the ground. Uh, It is a heartbreaking moment that eventually leaves uh, Anakin to be grievously injured and then be sort of clapped up into the Dark Vader costume. Uh, The Empire rises, Palpatine takes over, and Order 66, which is the order that dubbed all Jedi's traitors, goes into effect, killing all the Jedis, which is why, by the time we get to A New Hope, the only Jedi still around are Master Yoda, absconds (laughs) and Obi-Wan who goes into hiding. Um, And it's basically getting all of the chess pieces back into place for what will end up being a new hope.
1: Yeah, no no, no baby Luke and Leia fighting in Revenge of the Sith, nor is there baby Yoda, although Grogu was probably kicking around at some point. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Revenge of the Sith might get into speculation on a little bit of that stuff. We are also joined today by producer Christian today, filling in for our great and lovely producer Lucy. Christian and our special guests have one thing in common. And, Jacqueline, I can only think if the Jedi were bigger fans of Metallica, they might have heard the album Master of Puppets, and they would have said, oh, that's what's going on with the Chancellor. I do know that our special guest has listened to many Metallica albums in her day. She is also one-third of the World Girls, where they give all aspects of life a whirl, still waiting for that stand-up comedy episode. She's also the co-host of Impolite Truce with our buddy John Rocha. She is the one, the only, Dorena Ariano. Dorena, how are you?
3: Hola, hola. Good to be here with you all. Beautiful summary by Jacqueline uh, makes me, uh, I wish that she had actually summarized all the movies for me instead of watching them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just Thank
3: wanted
1: you, the, the clip notes version, and I love for our viewers of the show today that Dorena's background, while maybe the hello there isn't inspired by Star Wars as much as it is, Uh, Catwoman and Batman Returns still hello there popular Obi-Wan Kenobi quote and so as we say hello there to Dorina, I have one question and one question only is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong about the 80 percent that Revenge of the Sith is currently sitting at on the tomato meter
3: Well, Mark, I don't really like telling people whether they're right or wrong, but since Rotten Tomatoes is a company, I'm going to tell Rotten Tomatoes is very, very wrong about this movie. 80% is incredibly high. Um, I would probably put it at 50%. Wow.
1: Okay, 50% on the low end of what Star Wars has registered. That might be the lowest Star Wars movie just below Rise of Skywalker, which is currently in the low 50s. Uh, Jacqueline, do you feel the same way? Rotten Tomatoes, right or wrong about that 80%?
2: Um, I would say that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but not by that much. Like, I do think 80% is pretty high. Um, We're definitely reaching, like, not just certified fresh, but, like, for sure certified fresh. Um, I'd put it somewhere in the mid-70s, low 70s, but... I can't honestly say after getting to the end of this that I found it to be altogether horrible. But I do feel like its score is a reflection of the fact that it was like the first one that looked like it could walk and chew gum.
1: Yeah. And it was a much darker film. It was the first PG-13 rated Star Wars that we had ever seen. And so it had a little bit of that you know, it dark side of the Force magic and energy going for it. And I think sometimes critics might respond to that because they were tired of what they saw with episode one and two. Uh, by the way, Jack and Coley, big supporter, if you listen to the show regularly of episode two, Attack of the Clones. And as far as Revenge of the Sith goes for me, I think that I'm shockingly right in between y'all because I, I think it's a fresh movie. and I think it should be fresh in the tomato meter. But Not by a whole lot, because my thing with movies is, as a whole, I think that this might be the best prequel. However, there are a couple moments in here that really take it down a couple notches for me, both as a giant Star Wars fan and just as a fan of watching movies. And so we are going to give our take on the movie scenes and what went on, we think, behind the scenes and maybe the future of Star Wars, because a lot of the events in Revenge of the Sith kind of go right into what we're going to see in that same galaxy. And before we do all that, we are going to turn it over to Tim Ryan, our expert review curation manager, who's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of episode three's release, way back when we were so young in 2005. So take it away for the segment that we call Two Minutes with Tim.
0: Two Minutes with Tim. Thank you, Mark. When Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005, the critics had some of the same criticisms of the first two in the prequels trilogy basically that it looks terrific but the characters in the dialogue aren't up to the visuals but that being said there was a very different overall feeling among the critics the sense you got from the reviews was this was the most exciting with the best action scenes of any of the prequels and there were even a few critics that felt it measured up and in some cases exceeded the films in the original trilogy I will say as someone who was at Rotten Tomatoes at the time, there was a real buzz around this film and not just that it was a Star Wars movie. There was a feeling of finality, that this journey was coming to an end because we didn't know that there would be future Star Wars movies. And on that level, there was a lot of anticipation and there was a lot of excitement. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, James Berardinelli of Real Views wrote that Revenge of the Sith was a rousing and tragic send-off to a beloved franchise and the best installment in the Star Wars series since 1980's Empire Strikes Back. However, in a rotten review, Philip French of the UK's Observer wrote that special effects have greatly advanced since 1978, but technology needs imagination after it has made its initial impression. Imagination is not the strong suit of Revenge of the Sith. The Rotten Tomatoes Critics' Consensus reads, With Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, George Lucas brings his second Star Wars trilogy to a suitably thrilling and often poignant, if still a bit uneven, conclusion. It's at 80% with 302 reviews, and it's got a 66% audience score. So, that's what the critics thought of Revenge of the Sith. Mark and Jacqueline, is this a good movie? Yes, or... Back to you guys.
1: Well done, (laughs) Tim, with that dynamite drop in from our own friend of the show, Darth Vader. And as we general grievous cough our way through what the critics were saying about the time, it's now up to us. And so when we get into the actual scenes in just a sec, we'll get into the specifics of how we feel about this movie. But overall, I mean, this is really setting up the arc of Anakin Skywalker, both where he came from and where he's going. This Revenge of the Sith was the most crucial to that because... At the end of Attack of the Clones, we still see a guy who can clearly beat the crap out of a lot of people with his Jedi powers, with trying to use the light side of the Force. We also know that he's fallen in love with Padme, and then we see that tragically play itself out through the bulk of this movie into, obviously, Darth Vader. So before we get into the specifics, let me start with you, Dorena. What was it about this movie that maybe did you, did you not buy the arc of Anakin Skywalker, or was that one of the redeeming parts of this film for you?
3: Well, Mark. uh, Other than the fact that you know none of the characters talk like real people, Uh, ninety percent of the movie looks like a video game. Yoda is not Yoda. Uh, No one has been able to explain to me why Anakin goes to the dark side without having to mention the expanded universe content. And um, also, I think it's the worst. It's one of the. it's, It's the only worst love story than Twilight so far that I've seen. I think there are some good scenes. Just so you know, I just crapped on it, but. I did make a list of good scenes that we can go over, uh, but uh, it's specifically when it comes to why this movie exists, it's supposed to tell, explain to us why Anakin uh, turns to the dark side. And I still don't understand unless I have to read expanded universe writing. So it's very confusing, this movie to me.
1: I read a lot of those expanded universe, but we had to read Star Wars back in the 90s, kids. Truce of Bakura, still on my shelf somewhere. Jacqueline, do you buy the the arc in this? I know you're a fan of the Anakin Padme relationship in Attack of the Clones. Did you buy it and the disintegration of it in Revenge of the Sith?
2: I mean, I think yes, but this is the difference. I always looked at Anakin like Damien from The Omen and I just felt there was like a lot of very misguided people around him that did not clock into the fact this kid is evil. Like he killed people in the second movie. And I get this whole idea of wanting to reform them. It doesn't mean that I can't sort of embrace the Padme-Anakin love story, which I didn't obviously talk about it in the synopsis, but obviously Padme dies because, you know, Luke's an orphan at the beginning of A New Hope and Leia thinks that she's somebody else's kid. But um, I think what it is, is if you believed Anakin was always evil and that Qui-Gon Jinn's obsession with trying to make him into what the savior was a mistake, um, then it makes sense. But I think if you looked at Anakin as innocent and therefore it's a strange sort of like twist and turn, it does seem a little left field. I will admit they could have spent a little bit more time with his descent into the dark side. It did feel like it went from, oh, I love you Padme, let's have kids to let's murder children. Very quickly. So Mm -hmm. I will say it was definitely a sharp turn. But again, like I've always looked at that kid like. "Mm -mm. No, I know you're evil and not just because of of who he is. I'm saying that like they cast Hayden Christensen because he, I think, deliciously plays nefarious characters is why, in my personal opinion, his best role is Shattered Glass, who is that charismatic face with nefarious intentions.
1: Uh, according to the critics on the Tomato Meter, you are right about Shattered Glass being his best work. I feel like Anakin Skywalker's arc itself makes a lot of sense to me, even that that very quick turn where all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, I guess now we're just executing Order 66. And I'm just going to go wipe out everyone. I bought that. And part of the reason why I buy that is the performance of, of not just Hayden Christensen in certain scenes, but. Chancellor Palpatine, who is obviously going to become Darth Sidious, the Emperor, Ian McDiarmid is so deliciously great in the prequels as a whole. He's one of the best redeeming values of and he is by far the best actor of anybody that you see on screen, in my opinion, at least in getting the tone of Star Wars. And he knocks it out of the park with Revenge of the Sith. And so I always looked at Anakin Skywalker as someone who maybe wasn't Damien from the Omen, but had some some things pulling him towards the dark side that even he was able to keep under the surface for the most part. But then once you, you worry about losing Padme and you're starting to be more manipulated than you realize by the Emperor that's the straw that broke the camel's back. And so it's like me, if I'm upset at someone and I'm keeping it in for a long time, and then you just have that one other thing where it's like, okay, now, now I'm addressing this. And if you're in a relationship, it's like, okay, now we're going to get in a fight because this has happened so many times and I'm sorry, I didn't do the dishes. And then you start raising your voice. And eventually, cause I'm a guy, I'm going to lose that argument as I have in all of my relationship. So let's transition into the scenes itself. What made us like or dislike or just feel about Revenge of the Sith? Hit the music, Brian. Ryan Perez, Christian Rubalcaba, Mark talking about Star Wars. It's like the old days, fellas. So the scenes in the movie that we referred to, Tim Ryan actually teased us with one at the end, and I have a feeling one of us is going to talk about that particular scene. Darina, you're up first at bat. Is that one of the scenes that you felt like focusing on for your feelings on episode three?
3: You're talking specifically about the Palpatine Mace window scene? or
1: Nerd. That was my that was my Darth Vader Frankenstein impression. Ah, but you yes. can start. that.
3: We can start with that one. We can uh I'm happy I'm to out. start no. with Franken Vader.
1: Did you not pick up that that was Darth Vader's no?
3: No, because I did I didn't hear you. My audio broke a little bit. I thought mm. you had a stroke.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was dead Oh, episode. so
3: that's what happened. It wasn't an it wasn't an audio situation. It was a stroke. All right. That thanks for explaining. So okay,
1: okay. Sorry. Need I'm one
3: just like,
2: I literally was looking at him like, are you all right? <laughs> Sorry, Dorita. Go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Oh, it's all good. I really was so confused.
3: <laughs> no, I'm happy to start uh, with that scene. Um, here's the thing. Um, I'm not, I, I try not to be a hater of any new uh, Star Wars content past the original trilogy because I actually enjoy things like Rogue One. And in Rogue One, I thought they did a pretty cool job of capturing the essence of Darth Vader in this one almost horror like scene towards the end of the movie. I did not get any of that at the end of Revenge of the Sith when we finally get to watch. Um, Anakin put on the suit he doesn't put it on obviously he has a bunch of robots around him in the style of Frankenstein which is why I call him Franken Vader uh, but what happens is he is you know attached to uh, this uh, lab table and uh, he asks Palpatine you know is my, my girl is she okay is Padme okay and Palpatine tells Anakin you actually ended up killing Padme in your anger so he Franken Vader's uh, his way out of the the lab table, and uh, he Frankenmatters his way into the least terrifying, most monotone, weirdest delivery of James Earl uh, the lovely James Earl Jones into this no as the camera pulls away, and at that point you know I had already seen uh, most of the movie in the theater, but I almost walked out uh, in my uh, you know twenty uh, year old nerd <laughs> rage that was twenty years ago or something like that. I'm over it now, but. Yeah, not not good for me. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that scene?
1: So for that scene for me, Jacqueline, I, I remember watching it and it, it, it's a it's a squeeze your butt together moment just because we're not used to ever seeing Darth Vader vulnerable like that, especially with the helmet on. Like Return of the Jedi, we're having the, you know, the the, the denouement. We're talking about, OK, well, let's tell your sister it's my bad. Sorry, that one's on me. And, but he's got his helmet off and, and you see him just as this frail, old, very damaged human being. And once you see Darth Vader, I think we as the audience were expecting something similar to what we got with, as Dorina pointed out, the end of Rogue One, where it's like, no, that's a guy in his prime that is the heavyweight champion of the world. And with this, I understand that it's Darth Vader learning about who he is for the very first time and that there's going to be some growing pains, even with all that cool technology in the dark side of the forest. But it was still very jarring to have this moment of anticipation for not just this movie, but for three movies, for really six movies, to see Darth Vader for the first time and then to have him be vulnerable. It just hit me weird. I'm not necessarily saying it was the wrong choice from a narrative standpoint, but you got to realize we're all Star Wars fans. We know Darth Vader. We've been scared of him our whole life. And that's how we need him.
2: Where is Padme? Is she safe?
1: Is she alright?
2: It seems in your anger, you killed
1: her. I. I couldn't have. She was alive. I felt it.
2: I will say the other sort of end scene when Darth Vader is sitting in his sort of cockpit with like his arms folded, just staring out into it is probably a more appropriate framing of the character. Mm -hmm. I will say that, Um, but you're still laughing and sort of scratching your head at the other that they can't, that scene, Maybe because it's been memed too much. It's almost iconic. Like, uh, this is going to be a real random aside, but in Paul's <laughs> Drag Race, there's a song called Read You, Wrote You from Art Stallers from All Stars 2 with Roxy Andrews. This is so random, but Detox, <laughs> Alaska and Katya, which is a very iconic song that everybody loves except for Roxy Andrews' verse, which is not that great. But it's become iconic because of how bad it is. I kind of feel Uh. that way about the no scene. It's so bad. It's now become iconic. And so it's hard for me to go back to the time when I looked at it like, are you serious, bro? Like, I can't even go back to that emotion when I first saw it. Um, I can't even really remember it because I remember I saw Revenge of the Sith. It was, I think, like one of those, like, friends throw a movie on at a party type situation. Like... By the time I got to Revenge of the Sith, I don't know what I was doing. Oh, I remember what I was doing. I was getting drunk. That's what it was. I had just graduated from college and go. I was in, I was in France. That's exactly what it was. I was still in France at this point. I didn't get back until almost 2006. So wow. I was a little bit out on pop culture lexicon. So it wasn't until like a couple years later that I saw this one. But the scene for me that sort of epitomizes how bad this is, and I will admit it's bad, And it's the part I always go back to. This was such new technology. People were not used to um, acting with tennis balls and boxes as people and things. And I still think that hint, uh, like struggled with it. A big shout out to Mark Hoffmeyer. He actually pointed this out in the research And Allie Portman. She's like, it feels like being a kid on set again. She said like she's been acting since she was like six, but doing this this production felt like she was back being a kid actor learning how to stand on your mark because the box is not gonna give you anything. The box is not gonna like, you know, give you any kind of interaction that is worth it. And the best example of that is her death scene. This woman won an Oscar, arguably gave Oscar worthy performances when she was prepubescent, for Leon and the professional. Mm-hmm. And that death scene is one of the worst bits of wooden <laughs> overacting I've ever seen in the history of cinema. And this woman played Jackie Kennedy. Like,
1: very well, come too.
2: On. I don't, yeah. and not that long after this, like, I just don't see how you could even, like, you and McGregor, all of these people are very talented actors, and they just are so bad.
1: Well, let me tennis that back to Dorina then because do you also feel like the Padme death scene is one of those things that drops Revenge of the Sith below fresh for me because I do for a different reason, but I want to hear your thoughts first.
3: I, I think my reasons is more so I I agree with Jacqueline that just I mean, I think uh, I think in general, I love George Lucas for the fact that he's created this amazing universe with uh amazing character, like like really Fantastical, beautiful story in space. Uh, but um, I don't know if he's the best director when it comes to working with actors. So other than the acting, um, I personally think that if I had written this, um, obviously I did not, I would have had uh, Anakin actually kill Padme directly as opposed to um, her dying of sadness and a broken heart, uh, which is... I don't know if George thought, you know, this is for kids, so we're not gonna go that dark. I'm not sure what happened, but that's, I think, what I would have preferred. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't buy uh, what the story was trying to tell us, which is the fact that Palpatine, you know, is supposed to be this great manipulator uh, that we see actually more in the earlier two prequels. Uh, But in this one, he's obviously evil, like the entire movie. And Anakin just buys it. He's just this doofus that's like, I've been training with the Jedi my whole life. But I'm going to believe this one creepy dude Wait a that's minute. telling me, like, what, what, what's up, Jack? No, no, keep, finish your sentence. But I actually have a theory about this. But keep going. Okay, cool. Because I want to hear because there's that whole scene in the Opera House, you know, where he like gives gives them the, the the story of Dark Plagueis, etc. But he's it's like, dude, Anakin, he's obviously telling you that he's a Sith, like, and the, and he doesn't find that out until way later. And all of a sudden, in five minutes, he does the turn of going from I am I think I you know I am a Jedi, etc. I want to be a Jedi, uh, but the Jedi Council isn't making me a Jedi, which so I hate them now, and I'm gonna go kill some children. Uh, and then strangle
2: my uh, wife. Yeah, <laughs> So no, that. I think that's bizarre. So I do think that's bizarre as well. I do think it would have been better narratively if you would have either had Anakin kill Padme or, more appropriately, have Anakin think he killed Padme and have Dark Sidious, the evil person, which we don't care about being evil, kill him. I agree with you. I don't understand that point. However, I do understand how that character was able to sort of bamboozle Anakin because he was literally the only person through the entire story who really accepted him from the get remember they rejected him they were not going to let him train until Qui-Gon died like he was always something that they were like we ain't sure about this one and I think that always Anakin is a secure is an insecure boy with a lot of talent and I think we all have met those boys they bluster Um, But they're also the ones. No, not you, Mark. You have talent and you're not that dude. And if you are, you are way too nice to ever show it in this kind of fashion. We're all insecure. Let's be honest. But like he's the kind of guy and y'all know these people. You could despise them. But if you compliment them enough, they will do anything for you. If you tell them how great they are, even if you don't believe it, even if you're saying it with a snake oil smile, they will eat it up like two for one Twinkies because they are so insecure and starved for acceptance that they're okay with that. So I actually found that to be quite believable. And if you can think of that person that you know in your life, because I'm the type of person where I'm like, I can't, I cannot fake liking you. But I do know the world is a lot easier sometimes if you just kiss those people's butt and then you can go on and do whatever you want, then fight the rain and be like, you know, you're an idiot, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm not even thinking about people in my personal life. I'm thinking about uh, uh, Jacqueline had a great reference to RuPaul's Drag Race. So here comes Mark's comeback pitch with sports, because <laughs> I feel like Anakin Skywalker was maybe in a similar situation to the beginning of Aaron Rodgers, your boy's career in Green Bay, Jacqueline, because Aaron Rodgers, great quarterback coming out of college. However, you're sitting behind Brett Favre, and you're going to continue to sit behind Brett Favre for as long as Brett Favre is there. Now, I bring that up because I think Anakin Skywalker realized, okay, well, they say I'm not ready to you know, it, become a, a full-fledged Jedi Knight and join the council yet, and then Qui-Gon dies, and it's like, wait, and now you're telling me I'm still not ready. You still don't think I'm ready. And so he felt like he was just... kind of burning a hole into the bench when he should be on the field playing. All of a sudden, here comes Palpatine, not only offering him a chance to be the star, but also to tap into these powers that some consider unnatural. But also, that can help him down the road if you're trying to keep someone alive, which is the person you love, which is really by that point, the last bastion of hope for you remaining on the light side of the forest, is this woman that you love so much. Problem with the woman you love so much, light side of the forest ain't really cool with y'all even holding hands, much less procreating. And so there's a lot going on in his mind by that point, which I think that that scene at the opera house is probably the best scene, at least the most well acted scene in any of the prequels and I put it on a par up there with anything that I've seen in the sequels or the classic trilogy just as far as pure acting ability because Ian McDiarmid in particular knows exactly what tone he's trying to hit and he knocks it so far out of the park and so that's one of the reasons why that is a standout scene for me the other one is the one that I've been waiting to see my entire life since I was a little kid and that scene in A New Hope When Obi-Wan and Luke reconnect for a little bit, he helps Luke up. Luke's got a headache because he just got knocked out by a few Tusken Raiders. (laughs) Where's those Jedi powers yet, kid? And then Obi-Wan is telling him about his dad. And he says a young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine, until he turned to evil. And we all start thinking about that. And then, as Doreen intimated, we start to hear rumors that there's this place Mustafar, and there's a lot of lava, and that's where the fight went down. So to see that fight play out, y'all, I took a date to go see the movie The Incredibles around Thanksgiving 2004. She wanted to see The Incredibles. I wanted to see the trailer that was attached to the movie because it was our first glimpse of Revenge of the Sith, and you hear the quotes from the classic trilogy, and then you see some lava bubbling up and exploding. You're like, Oh my God, we're going to get it. And the way that that fight was executed, I still have some issues with the, the artificiality of it, but I understand, Hey, look, what what do you want? You want these guys to, you, you want them to both Tom cruise it and fight on top of an actual volcano. No. So I understand that. And it did look really cool. I have no problem with the Anakin. It's over. I have the high ground quote. It makes sense. From a fencing standpoint, and by the way, our Mark Koffmeyer sent us some great research about the different fencing techniques that they were using. I don't
2: need a fencing explainer to understand it. Why couldn't he just stab him? He's going to be in a suit anyway. (laughs) Like, it's just a stupid line. It's just poor writing. I'm sorry. Like, I get why it works. But again, if you require a fencing explainer to understand why (laughs) I have the high ground really is like you can't beat me. Like, this is not the Three Musketeers it's over Anakin I have the high ground you underestimate my power don't try it
1: it's interesting though that all of our scenes are, are really stacked towards the end because True. you open the movie with a really really cool outer space battle that is just Whiz bang, you can't believe how fast it's flying at you. But then you start to get into the dramatics of it and where you start to feel that build up. And by the time Order is 66 is executed, there's some really cool shots of Hayden Christensen before he gets the crap beat out of him to near death. We see him tapping into those Sith powers and it's horrifying I mean you talk about making a kid's movie maybe instead of sugarcoating Padme's death with a broken heart maybe just don't have kid murder be such a crucial plot point I understand it would have happened off screen regardless but um yeah there's a whole lot to dissect with the scenes in this movie and Darina the final scene I think we should talk about before we move on to behind the scenes talk is that Mace Windu Palpatine fight because that's where we start to see the classic emperor that we know that's also become a great meme, by the way, is just how cackly the emperor is when he real like it. it, I've had my face bitten by a dog one time. Anytime you have your face altered to that extent, you're not laughing all that much.
3: Look, uh, I am so happy for Ian McDermott and how much fun he had with this entire franchise, yep. um, he just had a ball and he looked like he was having so much fun in this particular movie doing his, <laughs> nah, nah, and he starts cackling and almost vomiting. And I was like, he's just hamming it up because he's getting paid and he's having a fun time. Uh, so yes, I mean, this is a scene where after Anakin spends most of the movie believing What I think are Palpatine's uh, obviously evil lies that, you know, he's clearly the Sith they're looking for, Um, or screaming that he wants to be a Jedi now. Uh, He finally figures out that Palpatine's a Sith, he tells Mace Windu, and uh, he's absolutely a Sith, and he's too powerful. And then Mace tells him to chill. Uh, But unlike the real Darth Vader, this dummy does not listen, and uh, he doesn't chill. And so, what happens is uh, he ends up finding Mace Windu about to uh, possibly murder uh, or kill uh, Palpatine. And this is after he's watching Palpatine electrocute Mace Windu and clearly the evil Sith uh, er, that he's already aware that who he is. So he goes and chops off uh, Maze Windu's hand so he doesn't kill Palpatine. And uh, this is, I guess, where he decides to believe that the Jedi who've been training him his whole life uh, are all evil simply because uh, he is swallowing this annoying creepy (laughs) Chancellor. Uh, uh, Tells him uh, what that, dude, the Jedi are evil and they're trying to take over the Republic so you have to believe me. Uh, So he decides to go murder children. And I guess it's because he was blinded by love of his wife, who doesn't seem to do anything in this movie, but hang out in an apartment all day.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you uh, you have any strong feelings on that battle? I mean, it's a pretty cool lightsaber fight because we get that. And then that throws us pretty quickly into Yoda one more time doing his cool flip trick before he shuttles off to Dagobah for the next, you know, 25 years.
2: I think what's really interesting about this movie and not to say this is the sole reason, but I will personally say that I believe one of the reasons why Attack of the Clones, not everybody who dislikes it feels this way. But one of the problems with Attack of the Clones is if you really look at the story, it's Padme's story. It's the story of her falling in love. It's the story of her sort of having to go home. Uh, So much of the heart of that movie revolves around the female character. And I don't think it is a coincidence that the movie that is all very machismo machoed up, I've got to save this damsel. Like, what the heck? Like Padme is no wilting flower. Uh, she she's very capable person and yes she's pregnant but it was just so interesting you make her vulnerable by making her pregnant you you cast her off to the side and and basically leave her in that moment of pregnancy where basically it's like she can't walk anymore I mean Rachel Morrison directed an Oscar winning movie eight, eight seven months pregnant women can do both um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the one that they find to be more palatable um, the one about the dude bros breaking up
1: sorry <laughs> it's, it's the band you know? breaking up it's uh, uh
2: but it, it, it is interesting also i just want to give a shout out to samuel l jackson who despite what anyone says about this movie i think is the biggest fan of the prequel series he still thinks mace windu is alive and i am pretty sure if disney wanted to give him a check and some money we could have a mace windu series without question um i have no problem thinking he will come back to it because he he really went about this movie i think like a true fan would if they got cast as a major role. And for the fact that uh, Tandy uh, Newton, when she went to Cannes for the premiere of Rogue One, wore every single black Star Wars character on the dress that she walked the red carpet in. And that was such a small uh, selection of people that she could do it with them in multiple outfits. there are very few characters in this universe that are that are people of color, and and very few black people in this series that we can look to and sort of look up to. So, I, I love Mace Windu. I felt that even more than Lando, who's you know cooler than the underside of the pillow, he brought a gravitas to uh, the black Jedi, and I'm I'm very much about it, man. I'm I'm so much about what he did to that character. Um, it sucks that he's sort of wrapped around a series that a lot of people uh, don't like. But as we'll talk about behind the scenes, that is not the end of the chapter on this. I I will say I think uh, I think it had a resurgence like a phoenix from the ashes.
1: That is how you transition into behind the scenes. You think about the prequels as a whole, because there is this big movement to keep Mace Windu alive. And every time Samuel L. Jackson is around a Star Wars event, like a Star Wars celebration, whether he's in person or he's just doing a video to say hi to the throngs of fans in whatever ballroom they're gathered in, he's saying, like, look, in my canon, Mace Windu's alive. Let's keep him alive. And I think part of that reaction that he gets that is so overwhelmingly positive is in part because people do look back on the prequels and when they were kids, they saw them and now they're adults and they still have love for those movies. And so there is this sort of nice coat or not even rose tinted glasses, but people who are looking at the positive side of what the prequels did. One of the things that I will speculate the prequels gave us back which some people may not like is in rise of skywalker we did get palpatine back and i think the biggest reason for that besides i'm scrambling to figure out well we thought it was going to be um this other guy and it's not going to be him anymore and so now that we killed Snoke, we need somebody i think it's also because you look at how people reacted to seeing palpatine as a senator as a chancellor then as the emperor in the prequels and they're like he was great let's bring that guy back if he was just the emperor in return of the jedi I don't think that we get him back in Rise of Skywalker.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like here's the thing. I just and, and look, I'm very happy uh, I'm invited to the show because I love talking to you guys. <laughs> but I don't want to keep shitting on Star Wars. I love the original trilogy. I'm happy anybody likes these movies. Uh, I, 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 I was not a fan of Rise of Skywalker either, but. If it makes you happy, I really love that people enjoy whatever movies they do. Darien I just, has got the, the approach about, of
2: a girl dating a bad dude. It's like, if he makes you happy, go ahead. <laughs> I am that friend, Jacqueline. It's like so I'm going to
3: tell you I don't like him, but if he makes you happy, all right. I'm going to I'm just I'm still going to be friends with you. Um, but look, I, I, I think, uh, again, I love Ian McDermott. I, I loved him as a kid. Like I was terrified of the Emperor. Uh, when I was a kid, and I watched both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, I no longer have been afraid with him uh, of him in the later movies. I really wish they had brought uh, a new character like a Darth Plagueis or or something like that in, in the mm-hmm. later movies. I think that that uh, it would have been more exciting uh, instead of recycling uh, the older characters uh, to bring in you know the source of this entire uh, uh, you know a history that we've been taught uh, through expanded universe content and obviously in that. Opera House scene, uh, so I would have preferred that. Obviously, that's not what happened. Uh, but you can have everything you want in life, now, can you? Yeah.
1: yeah. The, the prequels, to me, are are my least favorite trilogy of Star Wars. But that's not to say that I think that they're terrible. And I think that what they added to the overall Star Wars canon is tremendous by far the most political intrigue you get which me as an adult now is something that i do get into more than i might have when i was a kid and i just wanted to see a bunch of cool lightsaber fights you get that the most with the prequels and you do get some very important plot points and you do get to see the matriculation of a lot of our favorite characters not the least of which is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so when you talk about folks wanting to keep Mace Windu alive or how great they thought Palpatine was, you also had a lot of people that wanted to see Ewan McGregor return to Star Wars in some capacity as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And now we are getting that. We're getting a spinoff that is called Kenobi that's going to be a series on Disney+, Plus, similar to The Mandalorian. And guess who else is back? Hayden effing Christensen will be reprising the role of Darth Vader. I still don't understand that he's going to be in a suit most of the time if we see him that much at all, which I don't think we will. But then you also could just have him with his helmet off when he's doing those weird bath things he does. So then Hayden gets a chance to actually act. I don't know how that all fits together, but I I, I'm cautiously optimistic about Kenobi because of how well The Mandalorian has done and how pumped I am to see stuff like The Bad Batch. But here's the thing, is that if the prequels massage the canon a little bit, in, for instance, wait, we're like, okay, so Anakin, as a kid, built C-3PO? That's what we're going with? The Kenobi thing really scares me, because when we meet Obi-Wan Kenobi in the desert in A New Hope, he really looks like this wizard who ain't been doing nothing For the last 15 years, we know he's been keeping an eye on Luke from afar, but he doesn't look like he's battle tested and rebels already sort of really got right up close to the line there because he fights Darth Maul again. Darth Maul came back and that was like a year and a half, two years before the events of A New Hope. And so how much can Kenobi really have adventures of him versus his old buddy now turned mortal enemy before it starts messing with the classic trilogy canon?
2: I think that it's assuming too much about the people that are coming in there. I think that if you look at that cast photo of um, the Obi-Wan series, there are clearly a lot of familiar names, but there's also a lot of names we have nothing about, include, you know, shout out to Kamel Nanjiani, who's now in every bit of nerddom that he once loved. I really do love him that he has turned into the thing that he loves. Like this is like uh, the guy that went from playing tech like tech dudes in Silicon Valley. And he is now a full blown Avenger action figure in Star Wars, like all he's got to do is DC and he will like hit the trifecta of nerddom or or Star Trek. Um, There's a lot of faces we don't know what's gonna happen. And I have a feeling that the series will probably center in on them more. And these other folks are gonna be basically, I think personally, um, well placed cameos if I had to guess, similarly to what they do in Rebels.
1: Yeah, my my goal slash joke was I want the Kenobi series to just be like a sitcom like Cheers where he's Norm and he's just sitting on the end of the bar and he's just having beers and he's talking with his buddies and that's all you see of Obi-Wan Kenobi. You never get a hint that there's any sort of adventure left in the man. He's just hanging out, cracking jokes, buying some power converters on weekends. That's all I want for my Obi-Wan Kenobi. Dorena, are you excited for this new series that's gonna get really into the canon and the connective tissue between these prequels and the classic trilogy
3: well mark earlier you said that uh ian mcdermott was in your opinion the best thing about uh the prequel trilogy Mm -hmm. i actually uh, i think he was so fun to watch but my favorite actor in the whole thing was ewan mcgregor um i think he's probably the uh out of all the old beloved characters that we that we you know that that we know um i thought he did a beautiful job uh in tribute to uh sir alec guinness uh of the beloved obi-wan ben kenobi that we all got to meet in a new hope um and even with you know the acting with green screens and tennis balls and whatever was going on you can tell that he was he was one of the few people that was either not hamming it up or not giving up during uh, the filming of these these movies i thought he did a fantastic job as obi-wan kenobi and ben kenobi in general is one of my favorite characters of the whole saga i think he's i wish we had actually I was hoping in the prequels to see more of his story and more of his relationship with Anakin. Uh, but we didn't get to see much of that, right? Because it seems like George, uh, you know, didn't meandered a little bit throughout the first two prequels. And then we finally kind of had to like bunch all of the, the rest of the story up in that third, uh, in, in Revenge of the Sith. So I'm kind of excited to see uh, what happens with uh, with this new series. And, and we get to finally see what I hope we were going to see in the prequels. And so the fact that, you know, they they this cast gets another chance uh, uh, to go into maybe a, a something that I would prefer. That sounds exciting. And I'm also happy for someone like Hayden Christensen to come back and, and give his, uh, you know, his character uh, that a lot of people hated his acting in it. Uh, I'm glad he gets another chance to prove himself and, and hopefully we get to see more of that relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. That's what I'm mostly excited about.
1: And we touched on it last week, too, Jacqueline, where, it, you know, it, yeah, people criticize him a lot and some of them still do. But it's also nice just to see some celebration in the fact that you gave mm-hmm. us this character and you gave life to this character before they became this more machine than man sort of cyborg hybrid that we feared as kids. And so when he goes on stage at Star Wars Celebration in 2017... And gets a standing ovation it's warranted because it's it's a it i think it for the fans it's a little bit of a mea culpa hey sorry i was that person in the in the early days of chat rooms but also like hey thank you for everything you have done and now will do there's a great line that i love in a new hope where it is darth vader who he says when i left you i was but the learner now i am the master and i always took that like most every star wars fan to think okay well that he's talking about the fight on mustafar right where it was obi-wan got the high ground A lot of people are speculating there could be a big battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the Kenobi series where Obi-Wan still wins, and that is what he's referring to, and that's how you bake that in. I myself, and I'm going to say this right now, and I'm sure I'll get lambasted for it later, is that I don't necessarily want to see that. Now, if I see it play out in the series and I buy it, then I will be the first person to say, I was wrong, I loved it, that's how you do it. I'm just not there yet. In my mind, Obi-Wan Kenobi is just drinking with Qui-Gon's ghost, and that's it. And Darth Vader is in intense training with Palpatine, learning how to have witty puns instead of asking where his dead wife is.
2: Yeah, I actually think that you're right on that. I'm not saying that it will be a bad thing to see. I'm not going to go that far or something that I don't want to see, because let's be honest, I want to see them fight. Let them fight. You know, let's do this. (laughs) It's pretty cool. It's (laughs) pretty cool. But... I think what's more interesting is it's never really explicitly explained how Vader knows that Luke is his kid and when Vader knows that Luke is his kid and that his Mm -hmm. kid is alive. And it's also assumed that Vader is in the fold and completely 100% uh, with the Emperor at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I think it's much more likely that there are going to be bubbles up of him trying to sort of brook the reins that have been put upon him during that time period. And that there will be a defining moment for Vader where he realizes that he is never going to rid himself of the emperor, which is one of the reasons why um, it is it, he allows the emperor to torture his kid to the extent that he does before he eventually turns on him, right? Like, I I, I want to see more of that. I want to see Tough more of, of um, sort of uh, brainwashing Vader to stay within the fold, because it's easy to get them to make that first initial choice. It's keeping him in the fold for 25 years. It's probably a little bit more difficult. Right, yeah. given all of the things that the Empire does during that time period, also I think uh Frank Oz was on that picture too, so I'm guessing he's coming back to voice is that is that correct um help me if I'm wrong on that one. You might think-
1: assume that you would get uh yeah. a, a Yoda a Yoda ghost situation yeah. or no yeah Yoda's still Yodas still yeah, around you're still so, alive. So you might get a phone call from Yoda on Dagobah yeah. or he might, he might, maybe he's working some force protection. Maybe he comes to visit Obi-Wan. Maybe yeah. Obi-Wan does travel to Dagobah. That'd be pretty cool. Obi-Wan knew that Yoda was on Dagobah in Ex- Empire Strikes Back. So maybe he so, goes to visit him first and he's like, really? You make soup? Is yeah. it any good?
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, I, good. I have a feeling hmm. Obi-Wan, yeah, Obi-Wan might be on a search to make sure that all the Jedi actually are dead. That may be a big part of this is right. him going to the edges of the universe to sort of find out exactly the extent of what the empire did in secret, in hiding, but still trying to hope for it before he eventually realizes, oh no, everything is dead. Everybody's gone. There's no chance of anything for a good long while. I'm going to have to bide my time until Vader's kids come of age.
3: Right. It's, well, and it's, I, I, be interesting. I guess just to, to add to what you're saying, Douglas, I, I think uh, I guess what I would have rather see on Revenge of the Sith is more of an Anakin that's instead of this like whiny teenage boy, uh, more of like, you know, a, a cynic that actually is ambitious and uh, kind of sees Pal- Palpatine as more of like, you know, he's going to help me uh, or I'm going to use Palpatine to gain power or something like that. Like more of like the, the cynicism that we saw in the Darth Vader character. So maybe we get to see something about that in in the new movie, right? Like, or, sorry, in, in the new series uh, where we actually get to see these characters more fleshed out in their relationship with each other um, as opposed to, you know, what happened.
1: You're gonna see him hunting some Jedi? That's the, the Star Wars canon? Currently is I, I think the book's called Lords of the Sith, which is just a really cool story. And the album or the the album cover. It looks like an Iron Maiden album cover, but the book cover is basically <laughs> it's Vader. And he's hunting Jedi. He's he's getting the he he needs some therapy. And his way of therapy for losing everything that he once loved is just going out there and looking for any remnants of Jedi left. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe he is looking for any Jedi that are still out there to actually band together and form what you might call a Rebellion. So there is a whole lot to get into with Kenobi getting off of uh there's a whole lot to get excited about with Kenobi that is building upon what we saw at the end of Revenge of the Sith. As a whole, my final question for you all that's pretty quick is Is Revenge of the Sith the best prequel movie? I would happen to say on the whole, yes, I think it is, Jacqueline. Um still going to Attack of the Clones.
2: I still think that I love Attack of the Clones more. I do, but that's just me. I can't really honestly say, as I said during the yeah, show, that you. it's a. But that's the better one. But me personally, yeah, I'd watch Attack of the Clones over watching this one again. Not because it was bad, but just because there's just not as much for me to glob onto and be like, yeah, give it to me. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about rewatching this stuff. I think Revenge of the Sith is the better made of the three. I think it is the first one where they get things right. I think it has some of the better acting. I think things gel better in Revenge of the Sith. And also, you know, this was the one where I think they thought so long as you leave people with a good taste of their mouth in the finale, they're going to forgive everything before this. And they got close. They got close, (laughs) but I still don't close, but no cigar. Um, And what's so interesting about the prequels, which I think is just beyond that, um, I talked to somebody who worked at at, at uh, Lucas for a, uh, about this whole concept at a, on a podcast years ago and she talked about this man when those prequel qu- kids grew, grew up were they mad they were so pissed at the 40 something dudes in the 1990s who just railed against their movie they were like, like, like this was the original Gen Z, Gen X or Gen Y, Gen X fight right there, man. Like they, like Gen X likes to pretend that they're like minding their business. No, 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 sir. Y'all were the first ones with shots across the bow through the Star Wars franchise. And y'all were so mad at the kids that loved pod racing and Jar Jar and, and the whole thing, man. They hated those kids. Some of them were their own kids and they were just livid. <laughs> So uh, again, there's no clean hands, uh, but if I had to say, for me, it's still Attack of the Clones. But in overall, uh, this whole series is not as bad as I remembered in rewatching it, and the yeah. ones that stuck out the worst were not the ones I remember sticking out the way worse.
1: And that's confidence in your own opinion, kids. What everybody needs, and because if you look over Jacqueline's right shoulder in her shot there, she is indeed a certified fresh human being, Dorena <laughs> is Revenge of the Sith, the best of the prequels.
3: Uh, I go back and forth because um, I don't think a whole lot happened in the first two prequels story-wise. Uh, a lot of political sort of uh, supposed intrigue, that, uh, but that was kind of it. Um, we didn't get to see a lot of a, uh, I guess, character development. At least I didn't see it. But uh, additionally, Revenge of the Sith actually has a few scenes um, I do like. But my, uh, for example, you know, when uh, just shots actually visually, like when. Uh, Anakin is walking in front of the troopers when he's already become Vader and he's about to go kill the younglings. Like, that's a beautiful looking shot. Um, you know, uh, Christopher Lee is always enjoyable to watch. Uh, the scroll until it says war, like, that's a pretty... That, that was that was a cool. <laughs> um, but uh, sure, Liz Anakin, for example. Uh, Yoda, Yoda bitch slapping the red guards. That was highly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I still think my favorite, or, or the one scene that I actually can watch... Uh, again, from the prequels is from the Phantom Menace, which is the famous fight with uh, lightsaber duel with Darth Maul, right? I think that that's uh, a very epic looking, uh, the, the way it was shot, uh, the, you know, the the physicality of it, the, the duel of the fates, uh, which that's the thing about this trilogy. I may not be a fan of it, but John Williams kicks ass and the entire mm-hmm. score for the prequels is amazing. And duel of the fates is probably one of the, the best uh, Star Wars themes ever created, and similarly in *Revenge of the Sith*, *Battle of the Heroes*, which is the uh, theme song to uh, Anakin and and uh, Obi Wan's fight in Mustafar, is also a fantastic uh, uh, theme with like a choir and everything. So, it, and and when we talk in music, best part of the trilogy easily. Um, I just don't know if I see a whole lot of difference between like this movie and the other two prequels, other than the fact that this movie actually has more of a story going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you get more of a story. And you also set me up for one of my favorite trivia questions. It's very hard, but very rewarding in Star Wars canon. And so there you have it, folks. I'll simply leave you With this behind-the-scenes chat, with this one quote that I kept meaning to do for Phantom Menace and then Attack of the Clones, and I forgot, but it's paraphrasing my buddy who is a very funny comic, Eric Marino, who came up to me one night at the comedy store in the patio about 10, 12, 15 years ago, and he says, hey, hey, I finally figured out what's wrong with the prequels. And I bit, and I said, what's wrong with the prequels? And he's like, the biggest problem with the prequels is that I'm 40. And I think that's a pretty good summation of a lot of people's (laughs) opinion about the Star Wars prequels. That's ours, at least as it pertains this week to Revenge of the Sith. So let's transition to what's going to be a pretty quick mailbag here, Brian. Brian, literally doing nine jobs at once. Brian Perez, ladies and gentlemen. So we, we don't have a, an email today. It's probably why we're a little late on the music queue, but that's okay because in lieu of the mailbag making an appearance, we are going to have mailbag next week. You can email us anytime. RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. Com. And it's not for lack of emails coming in either. It's just that we have Christian producing for us these last couple of weeks, Lucy on her way back. And so we'll get that email worked out. I will say, though, that I had the pleasure of being at the La Jolla Comedy Store for my first comedy club indoor weekend in over 400 days and meeting y'all afterwards. Yes, getting to shake hands and fist bump and kiss babies and all that good stuff that comics do after the show you take pictures I got a lot of people Jacqueline saying hey uh, I really like Rotten Tomatoes is wrong and I'm like yes and they're like you know you're good Jacqueline really is the the engine that drives the ship but Mark you're not bad either and so I will take it thanks to everybody who finally in person I got to receive a compliment about a podcast I'm on so that was nice (laughs) after that's never
2: happened before also let me just say that's right people that some of them drove from LA uh some of them are in San Diego to go to your comedy show where you are just doing your comedy are going on and on about how great I am I love that you lie to the folks here right now about that but I have been to a Mark Ellis comedy show and I have seen him do the Kiss Babies afterwards and trust me when I tell you There is no one getting in between him and those people's love for him. So he's being very, very kind. But I also have to add something too uh, to this because I also did something recently where I was a bit more um, out and about. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was when I did uh, Oscars week. And I actually did have people who were like, I they, they brought up the Coming to America episode and I was like, oh no, you really watched? Like, listen, yeah. sorry, you know? And so that's a big deal. I also want to give a, a huge shout out to just everyone behind the scenes. Uh, Lucy's on her way back, but I'm actually on my way out. Um, this is my favorite thing to do every week. I absolutely love recording the podcast, but- Are you retiring? If... No, I'm going to be taking a like bit of a break number? myself, but I want to let everybody know this is a very planned Jeez. break. Give a guy Um, a
1: heart attack there, Jack.
2: I know. And it's just so that I can get some sanity because uh, award season's nearly killed me. And it's already started up again. So I'm going to take a little short vacation. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm not going to get up before 10 a.m. And all I'm going to be doing is playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And then I'm going to go down all the video games that I haven't been able to play and all the movies I haven't been able to watch. And it's going to be fabulous. I'm going to be... I'm gonna be that person that doesn't care for a while, and it's gonna be great.
1: <laughs> well, I still don't know where you live, and I know that you have some of my beer still in your fridge, so you yes. might have company sooner yeah. rather than later. Uh, Darina, it was so great catching up with you again, and I know that you, you know, I'm, we're we we're, we're freshly vaxxed and we're we're getting back out in the world slowly but surely, and it's just it, it's very nice. So, where can all of our fans get? more on on you what are you working on right now i know you got the world girls which is a really cool enterprise that you steph and roxy have and you co-host with roca amongst all these other things you're doing so where can all the kids out there find you
3: Yes. Um you can find me on the YouTubes, uh, because we're all uh YouTubers here, uh, even of all ages. YouTubers aren't just twenty year olds, apparently. There's also YouTubers like us that are close <laughs> to their forties or fifties. So uh you can watch me on the World Girls channel. Uh Steph Roxy and I give uh, all kinds of things in the world, and we make fools of ourselves for your entertainment uh, every Wednesday and Sunday evenings. And then uh, John Roca and I uh, host a political show, and I know that that's not everybody's uh, favorite cup of tea, but we try to, uh, uh, it, it, by the way, it's called Impolite Truths, uh, named in honor of George Carlin's impolite words uh, because George <laughs> Carlin was uh, my favorite uh, comedian growing up. I always saw him as a philosopher and um and he always spoke the truth and there's so much media polarization currently uh specifically uh uh, when it comes to politics a lot of people out there trying to divide us so we are trying to speak genuinely about what's going on in the world if you want to catch us every thursday at 5 p.m pacific and i'm also online sometimes sometimes i'm on social media uh on instagram uh, twitter at Evil Dorina. You can find me there if you want to hang out. Um, very happy to be here with y'all. Uh, thank you for having me, Mark, Jacqueline, Brian, Christian. Uh,
2: Jacqueline, I hope you enjoy your nerd sabbatical. I will. And I will try as soon as possible. Honestly, I hope we can do this like in person soon because, you know, a podcast where you can actually stare at the other person is awesome.
1: Yeah, you might. We, we, yes. we might we, we might try to work on something like that. In the next few weeks, months, I'm not quite sure, but let's do this. Doreena, give Jacqueline a recommendation, something that you think that more people need to see. What is out there that you want the world to watch, and particularly Jacqueline when she's on break?
3: Well, I'm not sure if you're a a fan of horror, Jacqueline, but uh, this isn't a straight up horror. But one of my favorite new movie, newer movies of the past decade is Mandy. Uh, That is uh, Mandy starring Nicolas Cage uh, and directed by Panos Cosmatos, uh, who is the son of uh, the director of Tombstone, actually. Nice Mm -hmm. little trivia for you there. And uh, Mandy is an incredible psychedelic trip. 80s action horror the weirdest movie you'll see uh, if you can see it on the big screen I obviously recommend it if it's possible because it's it's gorgeous looking uh, groundbreaking visually I am obsessed with that movie also one of the last movies of the a great late composer Johan Johansson
2: Yes, Um, I actually have seen that one and I recommend everybody also see it. Um, Also, the producers of that one did another Nicolas Cage not too long after that called Color of Space. And that's another Mm -hmm. very trippy, psychedelic one. But I actually saw that movie Stone Cold Sober at 8 a.m. at the Sundance (laughs) Film Festival, which is not what I would say the advised way to see it. But let me tell you, walking out into the sunshine after that movie was an extreme Experience.
1: Yeah, because it is the, just the, such the a different hour movie to necessarily <laughs> witness that movie, but you are seeing in, in both Mandy and uh whatever the other one was called is that that's that sort of apex. Color out of space.
3: Yeah, color out color of space. space. Yeah, that's
1: sort of apex current Nicholas Cage. So definitely, I will co-sign my co-hosts recommendations on your Nicholas Cage fair from the last decade. So that's going to close us out today. You can always subscribe to wherever you enjoy us on podcasts. You can rate review. We got a lot of fun stuff cooking here at Rotten Tomatoes. So stay locked in right here. You can follow them on social media. You can follow all of us. I am merely at Mark Ellis live. She is that Jacqueline and Darina is at Evil Darina.
3: Correct. Yeah, Because I'm so evil, as you just saw. I'm letting people like what they like, but I also shit on what I don't like. <laughs>
1: That's how you do it. Uh, Jacqueline, do you know what we're talking I don't know if you're if you're going to be talking about it, but do you want to tee us up for what we are going to be talking about next week?
2: Yes, we are going to Agrabah, and, but we're getting the Will Smith version. Uh, I was going to say, who's the genie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Guy Ritchie has another movie in theaters, which is a bit more like what he normally does with Wrath of Man. Um, right. But we're going to be talking about his uh, toe dip into family friendly contact with Will Smith's Aladdin. 2019 is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about it? It's rotten.
1: It's rotten. All right. We'll, we'll discuss how
2: people feel, or y'all Will discuss how genie people ago. feel.
1: Go. He's getting into the ball game <laughs> next week. As for this week, that's going to do it for us here on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. For everybody behind the scenes here at the hardworking Rotten Tomatoes team, Brian Perez, our audio engineer, Christian Rubelcaba producing this week, our beloved producer Lucy Jacqueline Coley, our esteemed guest Darina Ariano. I am merely Mark Ellis saying, once again, the force will be with you. Sometimes, no, always.